0: You know, during my military time, I I wore a number of different uniforms. I had fatigues. I know some of you are long enough ago wore fatigues, uh, BDUs, ABUs, the desert camos. Uh, Service dress changed a couple of times while I was in. Mess dresses went from like a summer one and a winter one to one singular color. You had either a white one or a black one, then you went to blue. And I thought, how can military people be so concerned about fashion? I mean, it's like... You know, GQ of the, you know, or, or, you know, I don't know what the ladies' magazines are, glamour of of uniforms. Nor would you think that a military full of rough-and-tumble, tough people would need, and knowing that they're to be uniform, would need something called the Uniform Code of Military Justice to keep everyone in line. And it would be hard to even imagine that a military that is so um, well-organized and well-disciplined would have a article, number 134, that as a chaplain I often got to talk to people about, that is the one part of the UMCJ, that, uh, UM, uniform code UCMJ, uh, that deals with adultery, believe it or not. In the military, if you are found guilty of adultery, you can be dishonorably discharged and want up to one year in prison. So, wow, that seems pretty harsh. Well, not as harsh as Leviticus 20 that we're going to make reference to today, that says, if you're caught in the midst of adultery, you will be stoned. Both the man and the woman would be stoned to death. The Mishnah, which is a rabbinic commentary on the Torah the Jewish laws they describe even very complicated way of someone who's caught in the midst of adultery to be strangled with two different types of cloth to be wrapped around the neck and two different men twisting while the person is immersed in dung up to their knees Wow Hmm. Hmm. Odd that in my 30 years in the Air Force and I counseled a lot of people who got in trouble I did not counsel a single person who was being put out for adultery Likewise, the evidence the historic evidence of adulterers being stoned to death in Jesus's day are few and far between it's like one of those laws that's on the books that never gets exercised still in the midst of this most intimate sin the Pharisees and the scribes try to use it as a means to trap Jesus for you see while the Pharisees and scribes spewed out hate and death jesus issued out love and grace some bibles if you have your bibles and look at chapter eight most and i read the last two verses of chapter seven last week uh... most include that verse fifty three um, 50, yeah, 52 and 53, I think it is. Yeah, let me look again. 52 and 53, um, along with eight through uh, chapter eight through verse 11. That's actually just 7:53 because mine is lined out. I've got it. Everybody's Bible is probably organized a little different way. Some of you will have these very uh, 11 verses bracketed or in italics. Anybody have that? Your Bible. That first part of the chapter, chapter eight, it looks different than the rest of it. Yeah, um, the early church fathers did not. Uh, let me back that up. Some early church fathers proclaimed and talked about this first part of chapter eight. Uh, Jerome and Augustine, or two that come to mind. But most modern-day commentators, even though we're 2,000 years almost past when this book was written, this Gospel of John, uh, give it the Rodney Dangerfield treatment. And those of you who are old enough to know Rodney Dangerfield, he could never get any respect. That's what he would always say. It's like no one wants to respect this, which I consider to be one of the most precious, tender, Insights into the love and grace of Jesus of any of the situations we have in the Bible So I need to say that to you in case you ever say well, why is it in there? Well, it, it's in there because it, it was inspired and, and uh, given to us from God and it also gives you uh, a window into the love that God has for you through his son Jesus Um, because I've heard it preached and I've heard pastors embellish uh, you know it doesn't take much imagination to think if you read the verses Jesus began teaching at dawn and a woman is caught at that time from the darkness of the sin of adultery and drug into the midst of our Savior, and in her embarrassment, you know, no, nothing is said about the man. Did he outrun him, outrun her, you know? Was it something that was set up, I mean, that they already knew because they were planning a, a, tra- a trap for Jesus? But rather than embellish it, uh, I found this little video clip that every word in it is uh, Bible verses only. It is verses actually 53 through 8, 11. So let's just watch it. Uh, this little clip you bring the lights down to then
1: the everyone went home but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early the next morning he went back to the temple all the people gathered round him and he sat down and began to teach them the teachers of the law and the Pharisees Brought in a woman who had been caught committing adultery. And they made her stand before them all. Teacher! This woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. In our law, Moses commanded that such a woman must be stoned to death. Now what do you say? They said this to trap Jesus so that they could accuse him. But he bent over and wrote on the ground with his finger. As they stood there asking him questions, he straightened up. Whichever one of you, has committed no sin, may throw the first stone at her. Then he bent over again, and wrote on the ground. When they heard this, they all left, one by one, the older ones first. was left alone with the woman still standing there. He straightened up. Where are they? Is there no one left to condemn you? No one, sir. Well then, I do not condemn you either. again
0: Would you pray with me please Fathers we approach a passage that most people know of How ironic that some commentators don't think it should be in the book but Lord as we look at this familiar passage help us to not be like the Pharisees and scribes looking down our nose ready to pass judgment but to realize that each one of us due to our own sinful lives and sinful ways identify far more with this woman standing in the presence of Jesus needing to feel his love and grace afraid of the judgment from our ways we pray this day that if there's someone here questioning their relationship with Christ that they would hear in these verses Of his love of his forgiveness of his grace and his challenge to say leave that sinful world that sinful life and strive to follow me hear this prayer Lord for I ask it in Jesus name Amen so the message of Jesus was definitely love and that was in the direct opposition I think as we look at this first point being love of what the Pharisees and scribes often taught. There's a little quote from First Peter. We preached through First Peter about a year and a half ago, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. But the Pharisees would rather pass out judgment, condemnation saying you didn't reach the standard and find their position of power built upon that and Jesus was offering this love and grace that might destroy their status might take away their position so they brought her into the midst of Jesus and those he was teaching to try to trap him if he said stone her the message of forgiveness and mercy that he had been proclaiming would then fall on deaf ears with those he was teaching because surely you would offer her grace and mercy but if he didn't say stone her he would be going against what God's law was Leviticus 20 verse 10 in fact if you look at Leviticus 20 it's a list of all these horrid sexual sins, and that's just the one verse that they were able to pull out. But if he said, stone her, you know, comply with the scriptures, it would put him in conflict with the Roman law because only the Romans could offer or execute capital punishment. So they knew by asking this question they were putting him in a very difficult position. And if he said, let her go, he himself would be standing in judgment because it meant he was not adhering to the word of God. So, it's a tough place to be. And I will say over the thousands of people that have darkened my office, illuminated my office, I should say it that way, but often they come in their darkest hours looking for some light and that's the message next week he says I am the light of the world they shared their mistakes Uh, they shared their damaged lives how something they had done had imploded their career their relationships and I want you to know of all the things that you might do or I might do Adultery is that one thread that once pulled destroys the garment of our society because when a spouse is unfaithful to their spouse that relationship is damaged and that fraying that pulling of that thread then can dissolve and often does dissolve a family. And then that family is destroyed. And then that workplace where they work is, is damaged because you know if someone that you work with is going through a divorce, how that affects you even in your job. How it affects your church if someone in the church is going through that. How it affects your community. How it affects the very world that we live in. So when someone is in the midst of adultery we find that the very fidelity the faithfulness of our nation our world is shook I cannot tell you how many times people made appointments with me as the chaplain it doesn't happen so much at the Baptist church here I want you to know there's a different way that you speak to a military chaplain than you speak to your Baptist pastor some of you Josh where are you Josh and Cynthia gave me a t-shirt one time and it says like warning pastor anything you say might be used in a sermon (laughs) believe me when you talk to me in my office in confidence it stays there and that's the one thing that the military really allowed the military chaplain so they would come and say you know I did this I did that and uh, often the chaplain is never you know even like oh wow you know okay you're not the first uh, but I can't tell you how many people came to my office and said, Well, you know, this happened, this adulteress or this, uh, this relationship is, you know, going to implode unless you can say something to us. And then they would say, in, with, before their, their breath, the sentence, you know, they finished their breath, and we have an appointment with the, the lawyer tomorrow if it doesn't work. Uh, I will tell you that love is the only ointment for pain. with with any sin for that matter, but it is the only ointment that can numb the pain and begin the restorative process. This woman was hurting, and Jesus knew it, and he also knew it was a trap. So what does he do? He offers her love. He looks at the woman with the eyes of the Father and through the Son, and he sees her as a child of God, afraid. Afraid. She had no doubt was already stooped down waiting for the first rock to come flying her way. But somehow he saw the need for her forgiveness. And he bends down and writes in the dirt. Now I have all these Baptist Bible scholars. What did he write? If you can find it in the text there, let me know. Because I've read it a bunch of times this week. Okay, no one knows, so good point that you didn't say, wow, I think he wrote this. But I have heard and I have read some amazing explanations of what it might have been. So here we go. Oh, and let me preface it by saying that the Greek word used when he, he writes twice in the dust or in the dirt, right? The first time. And the word is graphe, or, you know, it's a word you get graphite. It's a word, you know, that, that means writing, you know, uh, autograph, that kind of thing. And in the first time he uses it, uh, John writes kata, which is a preposition which means like into or with or upon. So it could mean he was writing upon the dirt. Uh, some Greek ec- experts, which I'm not, say it is how you list things. Therefore, they come to the decision or the statement that Jesus was listing the names of the people who were around him. He was perhaps listing the sins of those who were in the crowd accusing the woman. He perhaps was writing, because he writes twice, the first time, maybe writing down the seventh commandment. Thou shall not commit adultery. And the second time he perhaps wrote the tenth commandment. Thou shalt not covet, covet thy neighbor's wife, etc., etc. Cetera, et cetera. Whatever he wrote, it was intentional to be included in the scriptures because we have this firsthand account. John inspired by God to write that my Savior wrote something in the dirt and it had meaning not just doodling as I've heard it said before I would like to say because it goes along with my point he was writing I love you and then he wrote again God loves you because so many of us need to hear that he was writing in the dirt with his fingers because we are from the dirt. And here is where Calvin, if you read... You know, I read a lot of stuff this week. You know, it's always only problem. I read too much, and like, Hey, how much do I include? and What do don't I include? Augustine, St. Augustine, said it was in a, a connection with God the Father. Because how did God give us the Ten Commandments? He took his finger and wrote upon the stone. And he has to do it twice, right? Because... Doesn't Moses like toss him one time? So Jesus writes twice in the dirt. And Augustine's connection was that we were made from dirt. We are from the dust. And he is making a human connection by writing in the dirt. Calvin, the great reformer, along with his cousin, no, it wasn't his cousin, (laughs) his buddy Luther, said... He just didn't want to give them any respect, and that's why he was doodling in the ground. I don't know. But let's say for sure, I think he was writing to this woman, and he gave her the name Grace. So that's our next point. Because if you've been with me for these past so many months, I like to give, and the Bible is great, and usually in the New Testament, uh, especially, you get the names upon names. Paul will say, when you go back to such and such, say hello to X, Y, and Z, and he gives us these names of obscure people we've never met. But interestingly enough, in this gospel account of John, there are two or three times, and he mentions Nicodemus' name, but he doesn't mention the name of the woman at the well. And if you remember, I, I called her Fatina, which means to, to be enlightened. Uh, the, the, the ruler that came looking for help, I gave him the name of Basil, which means something about, you know, this a royalty, this royal entering part of a basilica. And I gave them different names, so I think it's great. And forgive me if your name is Grace, I'm not trying to say you're a sinner, but I would say you're a sinner because I'm a sinner. And we all are in need of grace. What is the Sunday school definition of grace? How many of you went to Sunday school today? Some of you? Good. Good. We need to increase our Sunday school attendance. I want you to know that. But somebody started to say, What's, what's the Unmerited. Unmerited favor? Yeah, that's that's like the standard. Unmerited favor. I came across this one this week and I really liked it. <clears throat> Dallas Willard was a Uh, philosopher, theologian, um, university professor, had degrees both in uh, philosophy as well as uh, biblical studies. And he said grace is, quote, God doing in us, for us, what we could not do ourselves. I like that. He says we are meant to be forgiven by grace. We are also meant to live by grace. In fact we often believe that sinners are the only ones in need of grace, but saints he said consume grace like a jet fighter consumes jet fuel. We are all in need of grace and we thrive on grace. Salvation means that not only am I forgiven by grace, but I'm also learning to live by grace. This is the part of what makes him boasting about it. You know, we can't boast about, I guess you can boast only in him. These Pharisees, these scribes, were just blown away that Jesus would challenge them. They liked the law, and the harshness of the law that they had practiced made it unable for them to understand his forgiveness. The crowd had stones in their hands ready to throw at grace. Now, Nikki, I was thinking about it. Was it you were told that it was throwing rocks at cars when we lived here in the 90s? It must have been tall, your older brother, he's not here, right? That's what I would say. Um, You know, my family, we all like cars, and to think my boys were throwing rocks. (laughs) But then I can remember when we were pastoring in Illinois, one of our deacons, his daughter, excuse me, the daughter or the son did it? The daughter or son? The daughter did it. She wrote her name on a guy's car in the parking lot. And they knew it was her because her name was Carrie, right? And she spelled it with like a K or something. She spelled it uniquely. So they knew it was her because, you know, the brother wouldn't know how to spell it. That's right. It had to be her because he's too young to even write. So the only other rock story I have, and I don't think I've shared this one here. If I have, you know, like Norris used to say, I'm going to tell it anyway because I like it. Um, uh, We were at uh, Albuquerque, Kirtland Air Force Base, and we had... Adopted another basset hound. We've had like four or five basset hounds. I don't know if we've had that many. We've had several basset hounds in our lives. And it seems like always a PCS happened. That's a change where you can't take the dog, or sometimes you could, sometimes you couldn't. And this dog was crazy anyway. Um, <laughs> Betsy. Yeah, Betsy. Yeah, we named her after the realtor that tried to show us a house. And forgive me, those of you realtors. Uh, she was just. Uh, but Betsy had gotten out. Uh, of the the yard, which she often did, and went over to this bull mastiff and would try to get him out, and those two would tear up a lot. But this time she'd gotten out, went towards uh, the side of our uh, neighborhood where there were a lot of those uh, goat head things, you know, so you end up getting them in your feet and your shoes, and she'd got them in her feet, and we had to pick her up and trying to carry her. So myself and the two older boys, the twins were actually born there. Brenda, raise your hand. Somebody couldn't believe this morning. Just raise your hand for just a brief second. Somebody couldn't believe I was married. Anybody crazy enough to marry me? Uh, But... Anyway, uh, I've got the two older boys, Uh, I'm guessing the twins are either, either you're pregnant or they're born, I can't remember exactly. And we're carrying rocks, because, you know, it's kind of, it's Albuquerque, it's kind of desert-like, it's kind of like, you know, some parts of, you know, the hill country out here. You may be a rattlesnake or something, so we're carrying rocks. about that time, up pops out of a little hole, a prairie dog. And they're protected in New Mexico, even though they carry the Black Plague. They're protected. And I'm sure these days they probably have little signs that say don't go in this field because there are prairie dogs in there. And this prairie dog is just, ark, 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 you know, just barking, barking, barking. And all three, the boys, the two older boys and me have rocks in our hands. And uh, one of them said, uh, Dad, I bet you can't hit that prairie dog. And that prairie dog is from here to at least Old Bandera Road from us. I mean, I couldn't throw a rock that far if I had to. But I said, oh, watch this. Bam! Right in the head, dead as a wedge. The boys thought I was, you know, like a major leaguer. And then we ran over there thinking that it just, you know, like stunned it. And it hadn't. It was dead. And it was a mama just protecting her babies. And why did I tell you that story? Because throwing rocks is never good. And I like that video where you heard the rocks starting to drop one by one. You could hear them clinking to the ground. And as the scripture says, the older ones left first. They remembered the sins of their youth. Or perhaps they knew they stood more in need of grace than even grace who stood in Jesus' presence. Who am I to toss the first stone? I know what sin is one of my favorite preachers is Fred Craddock Methodist hold yourself back Methodist Uh, he shares this account about the difference in law and grace and how to understand it the Pharisees understood the law they didn't understand grace Jesus understood the law and knew the law therefore he implemented grace for you and I for the wages of sin is what death and he knew that the sins of our lives the things that we would do would require death if it were not for him and he becomes our death offering if you will our sin offering but Craddock was pre- preaching somewhere in Georgia. He was a professor at uh, Chandler University, Chandler Seminary in Atlanta, Georgia. And a um, great speaker, great storyteller, but he had a very whiny voice. And he tells a story that he had preached a fill-in sermon at, a, at a, another church and preached the prodigal son, which is a tremendous text, if those of you know that text. And uh, he had talked about grace and... and uh, you know what the father did and afterwards he said there was an attorney and forgive me if you're an attorney or or you think this way but maybe you would hear from this illustration the attorney telling well i don't care much for that text and you're know, like wow i thought everybody liked the prodigal son i mean you know come on this guy has been lived crazy and he gets forgiven by the father and he said well what would you have done he said i wouldn't have forgiven him i would have had him arrested he said it's just Incomprehensible that you wouldn't follow through On what the law demanded And Craddock said well well, How much time would you have given him If he was in prison then or something He said oh a minimum of six years And from that Craddock concludes that We all need to understand How much We must receive and thrive on grace. Because judgment given by our peers of sin, our peer sinners, will always leave us in prison. It will always have us serving time. I ask you this morning, what would you have given him? Would you have been the father who went running towards his son... Jesus says in verse 7, He who is out sin, let him cast the first stone. And as I said, they all left until he was standing alone with grace. And that day grace met grace. She was braced for death, but found new life. She found love and grace, forgiveness and restoration. And the challenge to stop sinning, and leave the life of sin. And that's where many commentators, many people want to discount this passage. They say, oh, it's like Jesus is saying, go and sin no more. And we, we know the only one in that crowd that hadn't sinned was Jesus. But Jesus is saying, make the attempt to leave the sin behind and come and follow after me. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like you deserve a stoning. Well, there's this man named Jesus who will never condemn you. Do you hear that? His ministry is grace. Indeed, in John 3.17, he says, I came not to judge the world, but to what? Through him the world might be saved. That's his ministry. That is the gospel of bringing restoration between the Father and his creation. The sinful generations... Through the Son, Jesus. Oh, yeah, there'll be a day coming when He will judge us, but that day is not today. And thank God it's not today. He's here in this worship service. His Spirit is saying to you, Come follow me. You know, yesterday, Brenda and I, and I know I'm, I'm about to get long winded, and some of you are like, oh, stop telling the stories about throwing rocks. Well, let me tell you a car story because uh, it just fit in if you know we were driving through town i don't know if you saw it the first time we saw the blue 56 50, i get hard time telling the 50s and wayne mars probably instruct me 57 t-birds have a little tail right the little fins uh suzanne summers if you ever saw american graffiti is in a white one with the portal windows on the on the detachable hardtop but there was a, a blue one coming through town and a woman had a scarf around her neck you know, it was blowing, the top was out, it was blowing. And then Brent and I ended up going to Comfort, and then we thought we were going to eat a lunch at, uh, what's the camel place? Camp Verde. If you've never been to Camp Verde, you know, it's a nice place to eat lunch. And, and it's kind of like uh, Cracker Barrel. You can shop forever and you know, all the stuff you don't need while you're waiting to get your seat. But um, when we get there, that same car is there. And there are multiple cars, uh, old Thunderbirds there. And then what's, what's crazy why I had to bring it up, we decided that the the wait was an hour and a half, and a Cliff is too fat and too old to wait an hour and a half to eat. So we headed back to Comfort and found a restaurant there. And then coming back, we came by Saul's house on 46. And guess who we pass on Bandera on 16? That same Thunderbird. Now they got the top up, and uh, they're, they're coming uh, south on uh, Highway 16. And it made me think, cars and movies, it made me think of... A movie with a Thunderbird, not American Graffiti. I know, some of you, like, I've already lost you. Thelma and Louise. Two women who get on a crime spree, and at one time, I know one of them is wearing a scarf, and that's, a, although that's a, like a '66, I think, Thunderbird. And spoiler alert, those of you who have ever seen the movie, when the cops are after them, what do they do? They drive off the cliff, (laughs) yeah. So I want you to know, if you think you're here today because of your sin, getting ready to be stoned, and you're in your thunderbird, getting ready to drive off the cliff, Jesus says, no. You don't have to. Because I'll take the plunge. I'll take the cross. I will suffer the burden of your sin. Because I know you can't do it. No matter what you try, no matter how you repair, no matter how you plead, you cannot repair what's been broken. Only my grace, only through faith in Jesus, can you find the freedom that your heart desires. Stand with me, please, we pray. Our Father, as we have talked briefly about love and grace, we know that woman that day left praising Jesus for his forgiveness, for his love, for his mercy. And today, if there's someone here who has never received that love, that mercy, that grace, let their hearts be warmed. Let their hearts be changed. Let their hearts say, I want to follow Jesus. Maybe there's someone here who just needs to come to these steps and pause to pray. Let them know that the doors of the church are open, not to exit, but to come and be in your presence in this prayerful worship time. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.